We continue in our series in Acts, never done this before, but preaching all the way through the book of Acts this year. And as we do, uh, we are in Acts chapter 4, the end of it, and uh, first Wednesday that James mentioned. If you're unfamiliar, it is a service in here on Wednesday night, obviously the first Wednesday of every month, and uh, we set things up differently. The stage is in the center, we worship in the round, we do baptism, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but this year, First Wednesday services will be in the sermon series. So Alan Michael is preaching from the next Acts sermon uh, this first Wednesday. So keep that in mind. And if you uh, have your journals and you bring them with you, be sure and bring them with you. Um, There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And this section of the book of Acts begins to introduce a significant time of testing in the early church. The question is, will they fizzle out or will they go far? I'm convinced that the answer to it lies in unity and that the unity of uh, the church is the glue of any church And the reason I am uh, convinced is that uh, unity is essential uh, because it was an essential characteristic of this early church. They were one. We'll see that. That's the title of the sermon. And the second reason I'm convinced that unity is essential is because for 20 years in my time here at Grace, I have seen us stay together as one. I've seen um, fads rise and fall. I've seen theological fads rise and fall. I've seen worship uh, conversations come and go. Uh, I've seen strategic um, ways to grow your church just come and go. But one of the things that thankfully has stayed consistent with us for years is that we have one message And we have one mission because of that message. And so it is from this early church that we get those marching orders. So the title of today's sermon is One, and you will see three ones in uh, these just few verses. Luke has given a summary. This is the church so far, and uh, based on where the church is so far, this is what they're going through. So what has happened? Well, if we push rewind, Peter and John are going up into the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're going up in the temple to pray. And when they go up in the temple to pray, they see a man who's been lying there all his life. He can't walk. He was born that way. He's over 40 years old. He asks for money. They don't have money to give him, but they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he does. And he goes into the temple with them, most likely his first time ever in the temple because he was lame. He goes into the temple with them. It causes quite a stir. Peter seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel. The religious leaders get upset about that. And when they do... They call Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. They bring the guy in who was healed. They don't know what to do, so they send them out and say, say no more in Jesus' name. Don't 
talk about or in the name of Jesus. And so they leave. They find the praying church gathered and they're bold to continue to declare the gospel. They don't back down. And then Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, gives a summary, and this is it, of the church. He says they had one heart and soul. The full number, there's more than 5,000 men, plus women and children at this point, were of one heart and soul. That phrase, incidentally, is borrowed from Greek Aristotle is uh, reputed uh, to have said, uh, defined a friend as one soul dwelling in two bodies. Friendship was a, a Greek idea, and it was super important. And so we discover this early group of believers are friends. They like each other. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. They, they said, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. They shared as each had need and as each had provision. As a matter of fact, Luke says there was not a needy person among them. Now, this word needy is important. It means destitute. All right, so it doesn't mean that there wasn't somebody among them who had some wants that weren't met. It was that they met the needs of the destitute among them. This is an Old Testament idea, incidentally. If you look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 15, uh, uh, written to Israel, but there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I have commanded you today. This was an Old Testament idea. Do not allow destitute to remain destitute among you. Now, Luke says, as many as were owners of houses and land, in that day that would have been around 10%. Not many people owned, and so these did what? Well, uh, some of them sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They put their resources together. So some have said this was like early communism. This is a communist cult, a group, if you will, let me give you three reasons quickly this wasn't. There was no transfer of ownership that is required for communism. There was no control of production or income and no requirement to surrender one's property. This was voluntary. They came and they gave as they desired. What did they do? They distributed to each as any had need. That word distributed means to give out in a crowd. So those who had gave, and those who didn't, received. There was need that needed to be met. Is this, we know it's an Old Testament ideal, what does Jesus think about it? Remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. 
He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. This is a good boy. He said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Well, this guy's got to think, I've got it together. I've done all the stuff except for one, just one thing. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter, (laughs) I love Peter. He's like, yeah, we got this right. Look at Peter. See, we have left our homes and followed you. Unlike the rich dude, right? We figured it out. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The word distributed used here, Jesus said, go sell what you have and distribute it to the poor is the exact same word used in Acts. Jesus is saying, you have something from which others can benefit. Now, is it all about money? No, because Jesus here said, uh, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. At times, God will call you to lay down in front of him some pretty precious things. It may be money. For you, if that's what you value most, it may be what he gets after. Ruth Ann Lynch, there you are, Ruth Ann. Ruth Ann shared on the way in, she heads out tomorrow, today, for Cuba. She'll be there a week training missionaries to do mission work in Cuba. Isn't that awesome? But in order for Ruth Ann to do that, she'll leave Chad behind for a week. Is there a sacrifice in that? Yeah. Yeah. She probably doesn't see it near like that. She's thrilled to go. But there is... A sacrifice that's built in. I don't know what it is where God calls you to give it up for others, to give it away for others. It, it, it could be money. It could be time. You know, we don't have loads of that these days. And it could be time. And God says, I want your time. I'll tell you, I had this, just, just to give you how microcosmic this can be experience of this, uh, this, this Friday. So Wendy's grandmother, Gogo, is in Mountain Ridge, skilled nursing facility across the mountains. She's been there for about four weeks, I guess. And so Wendy and I now are in this rhythm. Wendy goes every day after work, but she and I go every Friday evening. And so we go there and we go to, uh, to eat. They eat rather early. And so we go there and just to be with Gogo during the eating time. So we go into the cafeteria and all these folks are being rolled in or they're rolling themselves in. You just never know. It's an interesting group of people and they're all coming in, you know. And so they get in and country music is playing on the, uh, on the radio. Ugh. But it is. And so it, it's playing on the, on the little jam box over there. And it's sitting on a piano bench 
I look around the room and I see some people I grew up, uh, they, they, they watched me grow up. There's Geneva, she's 96. There's Marlene who's had early onset of Alzheimer's and she's had Alzheimer's for years. I see Ava, I see Beverly, I see Mildred. There are all these folks that uh, Linda is there. I see all these people and it occurs to me, go to the piano. Let me, let me just tell you what I did. So it's just a little gift God has given me to be able to play the piano. So I go over and I ask permission and we turn off the country music and all God's people say, and so we turn off the country music. All right, so I go to the piano. These folks are sitting there. They're just waiting for food at this point. They're waiting for food, and they're kind of, ah, you know, aimless. And Trent had had an interaction with a crusty old dude. There's always a crusty old man at these places, right? And, and it, was, it was words I cannot repeat on stage. And so Trent had had that interaction with this crusty old man. And so I go there, and I just go, and I start... This good old free will style, right? <laughs> and when I do, I look back and see Marlene, who doesn't know her name, and what's coming out of her mouth. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away in the morning. In her hands, when I die. And before long, the whole place, except crusty old dude. <laughs> He's not joining in, is he, Trent? No. As a matter of fact, Trent took the risk to lean down and say, do you like music? Trent said, he said, no. <laughs> Trent said, when I'm in the nursing home, not me, him. That's how he's going to be. But for 30 minutes, I played. They sang just old hymn after old hymn after old hymn. You know, it was just, just this talent that the Lord gave me, a sixth grader, Mom and dad lived in the parsonage, had a little piano. I went over one day as a sixth grader and sat down and discovered that notes went together. Started playing. Just a few years after that, it was probably eighth, ninth grade, our church choir was singing somewhere and they came to me and they said, the piano's sitting here. You got to play tonight. I thought, oh, shoot. I go up there, I lie you not, I sit down to play at that church over in Barnardsville somewhere. Dad was preaching a revival. I sat down to play, and when I did, my hands did things they had never done before. And the Spirit was saying, I'll use that. That's, that's what this is right here. It, I, I don't know what it is that you have but for me, it was just a simple ability to play a piano, never sing a, never sing a word, just play some songs that are registered in their minds and let God do the rest. It was just a few weeks ago that a single mom in our church, she's, uh, she's got one kid she cares for, works two jobs, and she totaled her car. Well, that's huge. If you're a single mom, you've got to get to work unknown to them, another couple in our church within days calls and they said, this may sound crazy, but we've got a car. We don't need it. We need to get rid of it. 
do you know anybody who could use it? And so they gave, and this single mom drives a nice car, a hundred good thousand miles left on it. They've never met one another. Single mom, couple who gave, that's church. That's church. Do what God tells you to do. Uh, tithing, it's the same. You give a percentage. Everybody does their part. One heart and soul. Number two, one message. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to what? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's the message. And great grace was upon them all. The message never changed. The need emerged. They needed to meet the need. But the message was the same. This Jesus, Peter would preach, who you crucified, God raised from the dead. That's the message, and it still is today. We meet all kinds of needs of people here at Grace through you. God just enables us. Mandy, who was on stage, she's on our staff. That's what she leads out in here. We meet all kinds of needs of people through you and through your giving and through your serving. And we, we will do roofs this year. We will go to Black Mountain and do a full day. You're going to hear about this pretty soon. A full day called Love Black Mountain as God is bringing us and sending us people from across the mountain. A full day, first Saturday in April. We do all of these things, but as we do them, we do them with one message. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. If there is any hope for anyone, it is not in a new roof. It is not in silver and gold, according to John and Peter, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that's what we say to folks. In the name of Jesus, come, come. We need power to speak the gospel. Others need grace to receive the gospel. So God needs to give us the power, the boldness to speak it, but others need the, I can't make anybody say yes to Jesus. I'd love to. There are people that I'd love to, but I can't make anyone come to Christ but God gives me an opportunity to speak truth to them. That's why one of our first quarter goals this year is 300 gospel conversations. Amongst us, 300 gospel conversations. Not baptisms, not joining. The, no, we just want you to talk about Jesus. We want you to speak of the hope you have in Jesus. So let's check the screen out and see how we're doing. So we're at 157. Now we had loads reported. This was done on Thursday. Loads reported over the weekend. None of those are on the screen. So next Sunday is going to be pretty amazing with what's come in. Do you know what excites me about that? Number one, you're telling us 
I'm telling people about Jesus. Number two, we're trusting God to do the rest. I used to do youth ministry. There was a kid, his name was Jamie. And Jamie started coming to youth. And uh, we had an old uh, sanctuary that we played ball in. It wasn't much, but those kids loved it. And so Jamie showed up and he wanted to play basketball. So I met him that day. I don't know if it was that day or later that I reached out to him and called him out of the gym into my office. And I had a green sofa and I had a, one of those lamps, you know, that kind of came over the back of the sofa. The students called it the interrogation sofa. They said if they were in trouble, I'd sit them there and turn on the lamp and just let it shine down on them as I pommeled them with questions. I don't recall it quite like that, but I sat with Jamie that day and I said, Jamie, do you know Jesus? Jamie Stevens is his name. You may know him. He said, no. Well, I shared the gospel and I said, would you like to? And he said, not today. Just kind of like that. I said, okay, let it be. I don't know, a few weeks later, maybe a month, maybe longer, Jamie's coming two or three times a week to play. I said, Jamie, come in my office. He came in and I said, you know that conversation we had a few, however long it was ago? Yeah. Have you thought about it? Yeah. Would you, you, you ready to give your life to Jesus? No. No. I was like, all right. Another few weeks pass. I think I went through that cycle four times, three or four. Every single time, Jamie said, no, no. We get to summer, we go to Caswell. I'm down at the front counseling with somebody when I feel a tap on my shoulder and I look around and it's Jamie. Jamie, what are you doing here? He said, it's time. Time for what, Jamie? Time to give my life to Jesus. He's the first person I ever led to the Lord. He and his wife, Casey, come to our early service. Had a beautiful little daughter. I just want to encourage you. The early church could have gotten so sidetracked by the need that they forgot the message, but they didn't. Whoever you're sharing with, don't give up. Whoever you're talking with, don't stop. Continue boldly to declare the gospel. We have doctors in our church who, who are just having amazing opportunities with patients. Business owners who are now seeing, oh, here's a great opportunity. Don't give up. This ends with one example, one heart and soul, one message, one example. Thus, in light of the above general statement, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Luke introduces Barnabas here. Well, his real name is Joseph, but they nickname him Barnabas, why? Because he's an encouraging guy. 
He is an encouraging guy. So let me ask you a question. What's your nickname? I don't mean like some weird name. I, I mean, like when people think of you, what comes to their minds? What is it? What occurs to you or to others when they think of you? Barnabas is introduced here. It's just like a passing glance. But I want to give you a full view of Barnabas in the early church. So later, Saul, who was killing Christians, would be converted on the Damascus Road. His name would be changed to Paul. But guess what? The Christians are afraid of him. He, he wants to serve God, but he can't because they're afraid. Look at or just on the screen, Acts 9, 27. But Barnabas took him, Paul, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. It's Barnabas who says, Saul, come with me, whose name is now Paul. Paul, come with me. Let me speak for you. Paul just needed somebody to say, no, he's the real deal. Barnabas said, I'll be that guy. I love this, but Barnabas, I would just ask you, uh, can, can you put that, that conjunction in front of your name and it'd be good afterward, right? But James, right? But Kim, but Hannah, but Jay, but Pat, can you do that? And people go, oh, they made a difference. They made a real difference. Well, God begins to do a work up in Antioch. And so it gets down to Jerusalem. Who does Jerusalem send? Acts 11, 22 through 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. What's going up, up north in Antioch? So they sent who? Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Gosh, this is a great guy, isn't it? Here's Barnabas. He's the one who says, no, Paul is legit. You can follow him. He is the one who goes to Antioch and says, hey, good work. Keep it up. And he's described by Luke as a good man, full of the spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. The church at Antioch, evidently Barnabas just stayed put. They're going to send two guys out on a mission trip. That's Acts 13. Now, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Barnabas... They head out. Because of that, they end up having the distinction as the first preachers to non-Jews. Acts 13, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. That's Barnabas. Then Paul became impatient with John Mark. A young minister, they had a sharp disagreement. Paul was like, I can't work with him anymore. You say, wow, that's in the Bible? Yeah. 
Yeah, people had hard times. And so Paul's like, I'm done with John Mark. Acts 15, 39 and 40, and there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and John Mark so that they separated from each other. What does Barnabas do? Poor young John Mark, (laughs) come with me. He's that guy. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Everybody needs a Barnabas, don't we? Everybody needs encouragement. There's one example. I started off by quoting an old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So we reached out a couple weeks ago and emailed you and said, who encourages you? And you emailed us back. And so, Carol and Scott are going to read from the screen what you said. Check it out. Belson Langley, by telling his own story. Casey Stevens, you encourage me by reminding me that my identity is found in Jesus. My son, Alex Marsh, through his love for God and desire to follow Jesus. My husband, Lynn Bergen, tells me how special I am even when I fail him. Lynn, thank you for loving me like Christ loves the church. Our whole life group is always there to provide words, prayers, and actions of encouragement. Being in Matt and Ann Ashley's small group for two years has encouraged me. My dad, Harold Wilson, has encouraged me to not judge others and look for the best in everyone. Eddie and Grace Miller always encourage me to follow Jesus in the hard and difficult times. Sue Gibbs, you encourage me as your trust in God lets nothing get you down. My husband Steve encourages me by always reminding me that God is truth and is always bigger than my fears. My wife Bethany encourages me to continue in my job while she is back in school. Even though she has a lot on her plate, she still supports me. My children encourage me by their unconditional love and support. James and Jenny Tarpley, through prayer and words of wisdom. Amanda Fuller encouraged me as we started Night to Shine at our Texas church, even though she was under the pressure of handling the event at Grace. Mandy Pittman, because she is always serving with a Christ-like love. Christina Redman, the vulnerability and genuineness that you've shown me about your relationship with Christ has been encouraging to me. Joel Milner has been faithful to reach out to me daily and encourage me in Bible reading, prayer, and gives a listening ear. My entire family, Michael, Wendy, Jerry, Trent, Libby, and Gogo, encourage me by prayer. They believe in me when I don't believe in myself. My wife, Jane, fills in my gaps, challenges me lovingly, cheers my successes, and serves me and my family. The kids I spend time with through life groups and child care encourage me to be someone they can look up to. Carol Davis, as she leads our life group, reminds me of truth throughout the week and is always willing to help others. Sarah Trout encourages me to worship more deeply by her example when she sings. I can see her love for God radiate from her face when she worships. David Thompson, you encourage me by asking me to join your life group. What a blessing and difference this group is making in my life. My daughter, Jenny Tarpley, is my go-to for prayer requests and good biblical advice. 
My sons Gage and Jackson are quick to reassure me that I'm doing a good job as a mom. My mom, Tammy Green, encourages me by her hospitality and willingness to always put others first. Bob and Sherry Matson encourage us and everyone in our life group. Marie Grindstaff encourages me by being my prayer partner for over 20 years. Lydia Hamby, by seeing her lead worship with a pure heart and a single focus of opening the gates to the throne room of heaven. Kelly Huffman shares what she is learning from books she reads. A great friend and a prayer warrior. She has a servant's heart. Weston and Stephanie McKinney encourage me by putting God first in their marriage. Arlen speaks words of affirmation to me often. I'm thankful to be spurred on by my loving husband. My wife, Pamela, by reminding me that a sovereign God has begun a good work in me and he will complete it. My husband, David, is my encourager. Through crisis, David has been by my side, supporting me through it all. My wife, Anna, tells me how much she respects me and how thankful she is to the Lord to be my wife. What a blessing she is to me. My sister, Glenda Glenn, prays for me every day as she drives to work. She is always there for me, my best friend. Christina Redmond always reminds me God is bigger than my circumstances, and he has won the victory. During recent illness, Drake and Donna Seeley encouraged Todd and I with prayers, support, and love. Valerie and Dana Hollefeld encouraged me with their prayers. Mike Bundy has been my encourager for 43 years. He has held me up when my world tilted and knelt down beside me to pray, seeking God's will. Kay Thompson, you encouraged me by telling me how often and how much our Tuesday Bible study means to you. Thank you. Jackie Mintink, by being a prayer warrior for our life group and many who don't even realize she's praying for them. My son Ian encourages me every day with his positive outlook on life and always seeing the good in others. My daughter, Jamie Manning, encourages me as she shows God's love to everyone she meets. Lynn Bergen always makes me smile and lets me talk when I have a problem. Cheryl Benton has been my friend for 20 years, sitting with me in the ashes or cheering me on. She always points me to the Lord. Pat Piercy has been my friend, confidant, and prayer partner for many years. Bob Jensen encourages me to step out into anything I believe God is calling me to do. Isn't that good? So good. Would you bow your heads? As your heads are bowed this morning, I want to ask you a simple question. This is right back to where Christina led us out this morning. If you are in here and you would say, right now, I came in empty. I came in hurting. I came in significantly needing encouragement. That's how I came. Would you just simply lift your hand this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. Yes, thank you, yes. Thank you, yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. We're so glad you came. We really are.
if you came in this morning and perhaps you were one of those who lifted your hand or not, and through song, through words from folks or words from me through the word, you are more encouraged than when you showed up. Would you lift your hand? Wow. All over the room. All over the room. Thank you. Father, you knew the early church needed Barnabas and you called him to yourself and you caused him to be born again and to live in hope. And he became no one who would write any of the letters in the New Testament. There would not be a letter named for him. He sold some land and said, help the poor, the destitute. He spoke up for Paul. He went with Paul on that first trip. He preached the gospel to Gentiles first. He took John Mark under his wings, eventually bringing him back and Paul back together. God, I pray for people who need a Barnabas, who will speak truth in love, who will not tell them just what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. May they be truth receivers, and may you send a truth encouraging speaker into their lives. The news isn't good this week on many fronts but you are good always. Raise up more Barnabases in this crazy and unknown world in which we live. Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate encourager by taking on our sin on the cross, dying in our place and living in us through the Spirit. You are amazing. You've encouraged us more than anyone. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your great name, in your authority, in your power. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.